everyone, and welcome back to another odd and macabre episode of Vamp Jen's Corner, an extension of my official blog site of the same name, which you can visit at jenvasquez.com. I'm your host, Vamp Jennifer, or Jen, whatever suits your fancy. So we are gathered here today to celebrate the memory of an old Hollywood starlet, an icon, a beloved actress, and an individual I admire greatly, Marilyn Monroe. This year, 2022, marks 60 years since her passing, and I wanted to commemorate her memory and dedicate a podcast episode to her. Before I proceed, let me mention that, as always, I'll include links in the show notes to where you can find the blog post version of this episode and any relevant links to the content discussed. Now, I've always paid my respects on August 5th, but I've seen some sources cite the date of her death as August 4th. You may be aware that there is a lot of controversy and mystery surrounding her death, so I have a feeling that's probably the reason for the two dates. There's a documentary on Netflix that released a few months ago called The Mystery of Marilyn Monroe, The Unheard Tapes, which I recommend if you're curious to know more about the strange details and events surrounding the star's passing. Despite the brevity of her years dying at the age of 36, the starlet left behind a major imprint on the film industry. She went through life embodying two individuals, Norma Jean, her birth name, and Marilyn Monroe, her celebrity alter ego. Many biographers have scrutinized the actress's life, attempting to crack the code of her identity and the circumstances behind her death. I was 18 years old when I first saw a Marilyn Monroe film. Like many people, I was familiar with her image and had seen her face on all sorts of souvenirs, from t-shirts to purses to coffee mugs. Who hasn't seen the iconic Marilyn Monroe painting Andy Warhol did? But that was all I knew of her, until the day I saw Some Like It Hot. I turned on the TV and that movie happened to be on, and I kept it on that channel. When I saw her on the screen, I was mesmerized by the way she moved, her powder white hair, her sleepy eyes, and coy voice. I'm not exaggerating when I say I couldn't take my eyes off of her. She has a magnetism, and when she was alive, I believe that's why people were so drawn to her. It's an inexplicable energy she exudes, and it even comes through when watching her on a small TV screen. I don't know who out there has seen Some Like It Hot, but it's a great comedy and it's hilarious. Jack Lemmon and Tony Curtis are also in it, and to this day, it makes me laugh and puts me in good spirits. But yeah, ever since I saw that film, I've been hooked on the blonde bombshell. I've read many biographies, seen most of her films, and have become a collector of Monroe memorabilia. In my home, I actually have what I call a wall of fame that's filled with mainly photos of Marilyn Monroe. Maybe I'll show that wall by posting a little video on social media. I also attended a special service marking the 50th anniversary of her death back in 2012 that was held at the cemetery she's buried at called Westwood Village Memorial Park. I attended the ceremony with the husband and a good friend. 
We were even briefly interviewed by the news channel KTLA and it aired on TV. I remember my mom calling me super excited saying, I saw you on the news. But um, I think the reporter asked us why we thought Marilyn continued to be important to people today, decades after her passing. From what I recall, my response was that she possessed something that you don't find in many actors today. And that's what I attribute to her immortalization in pop culture. Individuals that knew Marilyn when she was alive also attended the 50th anniversary event and spoke. It's crazy to think that that was 10 years ago and it was something I'm grateful to have been a part of and experienced. Well, another part of what I wanted to share here is an exhibit I went to in 2013 at the Hollywood Museum here in Los Angeles paying homage to Marilyn Monroe. It's a regular part of the establishment, and when I checked their website, it says it's still up. Although Monroe didn't have the chance to fully disclose her story, the exhibition gives the public a look into the actress's life, both on and off set. The collection was fascinating and provided an intimate glimpse into the life of an icon. I've been wanting to return to the museum to see it again, so I'm hoping to do that soon. So the Hollywood Museum was formerly the Max Factor Studio, named after the makeup artist to Hollywood starlets, Monroe being one. Max Factor opened his studio in 1935, and it was the hot spot for women to get the full beauty treatment from makeup to hair. You can feel the glamour and history when you arrive at the entrance. And at the time, there was a statue of Marilyn outside the front door. I don't know if it's still there, but I hope it is. The ground floor contains recreated rooms where celebrities like Lucille Ball got their hair done. There are four separate rooms, each named after a hair color. There's the blonde room, the brunette room, the brownette room, and the redhead room. Each house's photos is the memorabilia of silver screen beauties with these hair shades. It is in the blonde room where Max Factor created what would become Marilyn's signature hair color forever cementing her as the blonde bombshell. The second level of the building featured the Marilyn Monroe exhibit. When I entered, there was a display case that had various pictures of the actress and a few magazines from the 1950s with Marilyn gracing the covers. In the case was the infamous first issue of Playboy, which has the nude photos, now known as the red velvet shoot, taken of Marilyn before she made it big in Hollywood. Monroe had done the shoot with a photographer named Tom Kelly, and the pictures were later featured in calendars. After making it big, the discovery of the calendars and the connection to Marilyn caused concern for her studio. When news broke of the scandalous photo shoot, it made headlines and made Monroe vulnerable to the negative criticisms of her peers and fans. Instead of brushing it under the rug, Marilyn confronted the matter and explained that she did the shoot to earn extra money. She was a struggling actress trying to get by, and people sympathized with her. The August 1952 issue of Time Magazine reported that when a brazen individual asked Marilyn if she really had nothing on in these photos, she cheekily replied, I had the radio on. <laughs> However, Marilyn did wear clothes, and plenty of them. The wardrobe displayed contained pieces she donned on set and in her private life, and of course, they were nothing short of glamorous. William Trevia designed costumes and gowns for many of Monroe's films and public appearances, and she deeply trusted him with making her look good. In a personal letter to Trevia, Marilyn wrote, Billy Dare, 
Please dress me forever. I love you, Marilyn. One of Trivia's creations was a stunning green gown worn by Marilyn for There's No Business Like Show Business. Unfortunately, the scenes where she wears this piece were cut from the film. In the same display case was an orange dress that the actress wore for many publicity shots and magazine cover shoots. There was also the flapper dress she wore as Sugar in Some Like It Hot. Marilyn had a taste for fashion and loved looking her best. It's no secret that her image was important to her and was crucial to the persona she created. Interestingly, the actress gave different numbers for her measurements to people who asked, and so her size varies in reports. Another fashion highlight was a garb referred to as the sexy black cocktail wiggle dress. Despite Monroe being a star, she didn't own many formal clothes and would often borrow from 20th Century Studios' massive wardrobe closets. This dress, though, adorned in lace and sequins, was one she bought and was among her prized possessions. It became a staple and she wore it to several public events and photo shoots. I also saw the dress she wore in Korea to entertain the soldiers. It was originally a floor-length gown that Marilyn insisted on having shortened to below her knees. She wanted to wear something fun and sexy for the boys overseas and she delivered, putting on quite a show. Of course, we cannot discuss the fashion of Marilyn Monroe without mentioning her makeup. Her signature black catwinged eyeliner and red lip created the iconic image we recognize today. She's the reason I made sure to master how to apply red lipstick on myself. The museum had her cosmetic kit she used with things like um, her face cream, blush, eyeliner, and lip liner brush. Although she occasionally had makeup artists beautify her, Marilyn took immense joy in doing this herself. She was acutely aware of what flattered her features and what didn't. This is why Marilyn photographed so perfectly. She knew how to position herself for the camera and closely scrutinize pictures from shoots, discarding ones she disliked. I remember reading that she would literally tab a pair of scissors as she was going through all the photos from shoots and would cut the ones she didn't like to pieces. One of the more intimate memorabilia showcased at the exhibit was a drinking glass set that belonged to Marilyn when she lived at her Brentwood house, the last place she would call home. Monroe purchased the set during one of her visits to Mexico and the photograph behind the glasses showed one of these on her kitchen countertop. I thought that was pretty neat. Speaking of glasses, there was an assortment of wines from Marilyn Wines on display, and that's how I initially learned about the brand. I actually did a review of the wines for my blog back in June. It was my first time ever trying them, and I was so excited to do the tasting. I can't believe it took me so long to order a batch, but I finally did. So I'll give you all a little background about the company. Marilyn Wines made its grand debut during the 80s with the 1985 vintage Marilyn Merlot. Founders Bob and Donna Holder gave a case to an auction where it was a hit. Then a friend of theirs reached out to Marilyn Monroe Estate to inquire about licensing rights to use the names and photographs of the icon on the bottles. Access was granted and the rest is Hollywood history. There's a vast selection available on the website and there are different sets such as Red Dress, Blonde Noirs, and Marilyn Cabernet to name a few. I really want to purchase from the Velvet Collection which is a series featuring pictures from the risque nude photo shoot she did in 1949. Most of the items are sold out though and the least expensive bottle is $500, a bit out of my price range. 
Uh, regarding price, newer wines start at $25 and go up to thousands of dollars for older ones. To get a well-rounded taste of the wines, I went with a rosé, white, and red. They were a 2017 Marilyn Monroe rosé, a 2015 Sauvignon Blonde, and a 2020 Norma Jean Merlot. They were all really enjoyable and the bottles make great keepsakes. I'll put a link in the show notes for anyone interested in reading details about each selection. If you're a wine drinker, I recommend giving them a try. I love red, so the Merlot was my favorite, but seriously, I want to try more of everything they have on the site. Now, I have to say, and if you're a fan of Marilyn Monroe, then you probably know this too. She was not a red or white wine drinker. Her drink of choice was champagne, and you can find lots of photos of her with a glass of bubbly in hand. So it makes me wonder if the brand would ever consider featuring a sparkling wine, because I definitely think they should. It's only fitting, so I'm keeping my fingers crossed on that. Okay, now back to my Hollywood Museum visit. So that day, the museum was also doing a book signing with a couple of authors who published biographies about Monroe. I had the privilege of meeting Lois Banner, the author of Marilyn, The Passion and the Paradox. She was signing copies of her book, and I briefly spoke with her about her inspiration for the biography on the late actress. The author had access to many of Marilyn's personal archives that hadn't previously been examined at the time she was working on her book, such as Monroe's psychiatric records, and she analyzes the abuse the actress endured throughout her younger years. When I asked her what she was trying to gain from the massive amounts of information on Marilyn, Banner replied that she wanted to solve the code of Monroe's complicated life. She wanted to bring as many of the pieces of the puzzle together to understand the woman behind Marilyn Monroe. And since we're on the topic of books, Joyce Carol Oates wrote a fantastic historical novel on Marilyn Monroe titled Blonde back in 2000. Although it's a work of fiction, the author did a lot of in-depth research and the story is so impeccably written that even I kept forgetting as I read it that it wasn't a biography. Plus, there's a film adaptation coming out on Netflix on September 23rd, which I'm really excited about. Ana de Armas is going to be portraying the icon and she looks amazing. Now, the book is about 700 pages long and I'm not sure how much the movie will cut out, so if you can, read the novel. In regard to my visit to the Hollywood Museum, the blog post I wrote includes a ton of pictures. I made sure to take plenty, so if you want to see visuals of the exhibit and what I've mentioned here, visit the link. Although it's been more than half a century since her passing, Marilyn's presence has never been more felt or more strongly alive as it is now. People from all parts of the globe travel to get a glance at her star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, to pay respect at her grave, to glimpse her ghost at the Roosevelt Hotel, to experience a bit of that Hollywood magic. Marilyn Monroe will never be forgotten, and I believe the memory of her will continue to ignite adoration in people. When I attended the 50th memorial service for Marilyn in 2012, it was noted that she often said, quote, hold a good thought for me, end quote. By doing this episode and talking about her, I hope I'm doing just that. 
Thank you all for joining me on another episode of Math Jen's Corner. I hope you enjoyed it. Again, you can visit my official website at jenvasquez.com where you'll find my latest content and what I've been up to. I do have some events lined up that I'll be reporting about on the blog, so keep your eyes peeled. Before we depart, I want to say thank you to Dennis for their generous donation to Vamp Jen's Corner. I really appreciate the support. And if you're listening out there, I just want you to know that it's individuals like yourself that help me continue to do what I do. So I want to express my sincere gratitude to Dennis. And if you listeners enjoy my work and enjoy listening to the podcast and reading my blog, and would like to make a contribution, I've set up a donations page on my site, jenvasquez.com, where you can contribute any dollar amount if you'd like to support my work. You can also contribute using the donations link in the show notes. Funds will go to things like web hosting, equipment, upgrades, and other costs related to producing my content. Any contribution is greatly appreciated. You can also find me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at jenvofficial and on TikTok at vampjen. Until next time, stay out in macabre.